Well, it's been quite a year, hasn't it? We've all been struggling with a lot. COVID-19, our kids being in school or staying home, massive fires in the US and Australia, politics, mental health. It's hard to keep up with the news and what you need to focus on that's most important for your health. So today we bring you another episode of Pulse Check, where we talk about what health topics are trending and what we think you need to know now. We'll talk about vitamin D and how it can help build your immunity and protect you from COVID-19. We'll also check in on how you are maintaining your mental health during a pandemic. Another more invisible pandemic we're dealing with is plastics and the impact they're having in our environment and our general health. What can we do to make a change? Finally, in our Ask the Doctor segment, we'll answer the questions you have been asking about arrhythmia and general heart health. Stay tuned for today's episode of Be Healthistic. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that's more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Drs. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com. Also, check out and subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel, which features video versions of our episodes, plus extra videos you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other health experts at HealthyDirections.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Be Healthistic. In today's all-new Pulse Check, which is our series on trending health topics, we're going to be discussing vitamin D in COVID, the pandemic's impact on mental health, and plastics in the environment. And we'll also be having an Ask the Doctor segment on arrhythmias. So dad, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Drew. All right, well, let's dive right into this vitamin D level in COVID-19 topic that we're gonna be discussing. I'm glad we're talking about vitamin D in terms of immune system function. I mean, remember 10 years ago, it was always about vitamin D, building strong bones and, you know, and, and calcium metabolism and stuff like that. But in the last 10 years, you know, researchers have realized that vitamin D is sort of an unsung hero and it's, it's vital for the immune system. And when it comes to COVID-19, it's absolutely incredible. We must take vitamin D. In fact, I just reviewed a bunch of papers, and if you look at the vitamin D levels by age, I mean, the ideal vitamin D level should be about 40, you know, when we measure it. Mm -hmm. And I used to measure this in my patients a lot when I was doing clinical practice, but the average child has a vitamin D level much less. In fact, 95% of children and 87% and of adults have subnormal levels of vitamin D. Now, that's huge. And if we think about the flu season, I mean, why, you know, one of the reasons why the flu season seems to, seems to rocket during the wintertime, could it be a coincidence? It's because we're not getting enough sunlight and we're not getting enough vitamin D absorbed you know, through the skin via the cholesterol synthesis mechanism. You know, that could be plausible. But like what we do know about vitamin D, it supports both innate immunity 
and adaptive immunity. And this is really important because when it comes to COVID, we need a strong immune system. And, um, you know, you can, you can get the vitamin D from, you know, your food a little bit and you can get it from sunlight. But I'll tell you, for health insurance, I take a minimum of 5,000 units a day as, as extra health insurance. And I take it with magnesium because vitamin D and magnesium are sort of cofactors, you know, they have a, a little synergism together. So I take both and I, and I think it's really vital that our listeners strongly consider additional vitamin D daily because it just makes so much sense. Yeah, Dad, that's an excellent summary uh, of vitamin D. And, you know, I remember back in um, naturopathic medical school, it was 2003, I had an instructor that told me that vitamin D acts more like a hormone in the body. And so from that standpoint and that time on, I thought to myself, okay, this is not just a vitamin. This is, this is a, a substance that's acting like a, like a hormone in the body. And it really does have powerful effects on the immune system, like you talked about with the, the modulation effect on the innate and the adaptive immune system. So, oh yeah, and it and it lowers the risk of cytokine storms. I mean, one of the things I've been doing on the radio quite often is talking about you know COVID nineteen and uh, cytokine storm is um, a problem where you get too much destruction of of actually the lung tissue, and the way it works, you know, we have ACE receptors in the lung and we have them in the brain. And by the way, uh, a lot of <laughs> brain insults are caused by COVID-19 because of these receptors where the virus locks into a receptor. But again, if you look at the vitamin D level, and um, I just want to read this paper. Uh, this paper was done by some of my colleagues. It's called uh, Stealth Strategies to Stop COVID Cold. And uh, I reviewed this paper, and one of my colleagues is Dr. Mercola. He was one of the authors of the uh, paper. But what was incredible was that if you looked at this study, there were 780 cases. I mean, not a large sample, but not a small sample by any means. And they looked at these uh, cases and, and they looked at COVID-19 mortality. And this is amazing. There was 100% mortality when the vitamin D level was down to 17 or 18, what we call NGs per ml. Mm -hmm. Now, we should have a minimum of 30. And I, and I used to strive for 40. When I was in clinical practice on a day-to-day -day basis, I wanted all my patients to have at least 40 to 60. That was my goal. This is an amazing uh, situation. When people got their blood levels up to 32, 33, 34 was sort of the cutoff, there was no mortality. Mm -hmm. Think about that, Drew. Yeah. That's something you can take to the bank. So I hope our listeners, again, I've mentioned this before, I'll say it again, just take extra vitamin D a day. I mean, I, I mean, you can take this one to the bank. It's harmless. Remember this, um, vitamin D very, very rarely can cause hypercalcemia. So, you know, if we have people who are concerned, uh, if, if they had, let's say, breast cancer in the past or something like that, like that or they had problems with their parathyroid glands, you know, get a calcium level checked. I mean, that would be important. And, and, and people with severe kidney disease, you got to be cautious about taking uh, vitamin D and, and magnesium as well. So those are my, you know, sort of my carve outs in a way, you know, my, my cautions for people. And, and again, I, I think taking magnesium with vitamin D is, is just uh, a knockout punch because remember magnesium acts like a cofactor and, and, you know, I take, you know, 
I take my broad spectrum magnesium. I take two to three capsules every night before bedtime. And I wake up in the morning, I throw down another 5,000 units of vitamin D. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, another piece of that Dr. McCullough article that I really liked, Dad, was it talked about how vitamin D can activate these antimicrobial peptides, which are these substances in the body that can have antimicrobial, meaning antibacterial, antiviral-like properties to them. And, you know, a lot of the research with vitamin D has shown that the higher your level, the more protective effect you're going to have against viruses. And even in the last two weeks, we've seen a couple studies come out on vitamin D in COVID. There was one study that looked at um, the, the positive rate of testing for COVID. And if your vitamin D level was below 20, that marker, that level that you just mentioned, uh, you had a higher risk of testing positive for COVID. So like with what you said, it makes absolute sense to supplement with vitamin D, to get out in the sun more while we can before we enter the fall and winter season, to eat foods that are rich in vitamin D to really boost our levels to protect our immune system. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, you know, there's not a lot of foods that, 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 you know, there's a lot of dairy that's fortified with vitamin D and, and you know, some migratory fish and salmon, you know, are good sources. But Again, you know, there's not a lot of foods out there uh, mm -hmm. unless you're a dairy user, you know. And Dad, we've talked about this before in previous podcasts, but what's your take on combining vitamin D with vitamin K2 in supplements? I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see a problem. I, I, t I take K2 every single day myself. I mean, I just feel K2 is vital uh, because, again, you know, K2 takes calcium um, out of your blood vessels where you, where you don't want it, and it puts it back in bones where you do want it. And again, vitamin D will help build strong bones. You know, that was the, you know, the scenario of over a decade ago. So I don't see any problem because remember, in, in aging men and women, a hip fracture is devastating. Osteoporosis is devastating. So I see no reason why you can't take those two together. Okay, great, great. And so in summary here, Dad, with vitamin D, you know, we would like our listeners to protect their immune systems, boost their immune systems for that matter with vitamin D. And you were saying that, you know, 5,000 IUs per day, generally a safe dose to take. And if you are concerned about elevated calcium levels in the blood, get your, get your vitamin D tested regularly to, to check on that. Yeah, it's so easy. And, and, and basically shoot for a number of 40, you know, 40 to 60 NGs per ml. I mean, that's a, boy, that's a good blood level. And remember, Less than five or ten percent of adults, you know, don't have that level. I mean, children and adults alike. So, um, you know, you want to strive for that level if you can, especially during COVID. Great. Anything else you want to add to the uh, vitamin D segment here, Dad? No, I think we we knocked it out of the park on this one. It's easy. All this right. Was an easy segment. Well, topic number two is going to be the pandemic's impact on mental health and. I'm sure that you've read up on this too, Dad, that um, the, the consequences of having an economic shutdown and having quarantines and fighting this virus is really causing a lot of mental health issues to arise, like anxiety and depression, suicide rates are on the rise, dependency with alcohol, drugs are on the rise. So we've got a, we've got a secondary problem here that we need to deal with. You're absolutely right, True. I mean, I went to a funeral yesterday uh, in a situation, and I'm sure COVID-19 um, you know, could have been a, what we call a predisposing factor. Um, so it's, it's very, very sad, but uh, suicide is on the rise, depression, um, anger, you know, um, you know, parents getting angry, uh, you know, children not acting appropriately, they take their anger out in their kids. And it's, it's sort of a domino effect. And, and, and what, I, what I would say to people is, you know, get outside more. 
try to get outside, ride a bike, do some walking. If you have a dog, walk the dog. I mean, you know, do something with exercise to uh, you get get yourself outdoors. And remember, if you're out if you're outdoors and it's the sunlight is in your skin, you'll be getting a little more vitamin D as well. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more with the the exercise piece, Dad, and and getting out in nature too, because when people get out in nature things just calm down. Their, their nervous system begins to calm down a little bit and they can sort of de-stress from all the, the stress around the anxiety and the depression happening with all the media. And, and so what I want to mention here is, uh, is the media aspect. I find that people are, are spending too much time on social media. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you saw this documentary, Dad, on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, but I, I highly recommend that our viewers and our listeners watch this documentary because I find that for teens particularly, if they're on social media a lot and they're just hearing about the virus and how bad it is and how many people are dying, they're isolated from their friends, they can't go hang out with their, their buddies. Let's say someone's in college and they're just, they're just so excited to be in a dorm with their friends and they can't even be there, right? I mean, so these kids, these teens particularly, um, are under tremendous stress because their life has been put on hold. And if you add on the social media aspect of that, when you're comparing things, you're looking at how bad the virus is, how bad it's affecting, you know, our society, our economy, et cetera, it's putting added stress on people. And so my recommendation around this whole stress and anxiety piece is to really reduce the amount of social media that people are using. Set a timer. You know, if it's 10 minutes during the day, you set it for one time during the day and that's it. You do your 10 minutes of social media and you're done. Because if you keep tapping into your phone over and over and over again with those notifications, it's never going to allow you to rest and to recover and to de-stress. And I find that that's something that we really need to do these days. Well, you said it in a, in a heartbeat. It never allows you to rest. And what you don't need is an overactive sympathetic nervous system because it drives up blood pressure. It creates arrhythmias. It creates more sudden death. You know, that's why grounding is really important during this epidemic, putting your bare feet on the ground, taking in the Schumann effect and Mother Earth energy. You, you, you want to do things to attenuate the autonomic response. Remember the hyperactive response of the autonomic nervous system. So certainly prayer, meditation, um, uh, you know, anytime you, where you can, you know, put your body in motion, like, like, like Tai Chi or Qigong or any of those therapies will calm the overactive uh, sympathetic nervous system. So I agree with you 100%. And this is also a time to not feel shame or um, not feel guilty about asking for help. So if you are feeling depressed, a little anxious, which I think everyone is these days, it's time to talk to a friend, talk to a family member. Uh, even maybe a, a therapist and discuss what's going on in your life. Because I find that if you talk about these issues that are going on, it makes things a lot easier. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree 100%. People are keeping their feelings in. And when you keep your feelings in, sometimes they can just explode. That's why people have fits of rage and anger and stuff like that. And remember, when you have rage, uh, rage is uncontrolled anger. And, and you know, events happen. And I can tell you as a heart specialist, I saw this all throughout my career of sudden death and heart attacks or arrhythmias or hypertensive crises, aortic dissection occurring during fits of severe anger and, and again, uncontrolled rage. Yeah. So, so you I think, want to avoid that. And, and, you know, we've had all these recommendations for our physical health with the virus, right? Washing our hands, social distancing, um, you know, protecting your physical body like that, but we also need to protect our mental and emotional health. And I think all these things we talked about today are, are really essential for that. And, and I think I wanted to bring up one more thing too with this pandemic is that people don't know when it's gonna end. 
And I think that's one of the major stressors that's contributing here because we have no idea how long this is going to go on for. And not knowing something, that fear of not knowing something can really drive the anxiety and the depression. Well said, Drew, because it, it again, a, a typical viral flu is cyclic and it usually burns out. It, it can take up to two to three years, unfortunately. And and hopefully a vaccine will be developed that's safe to take. And, uh, you know, and, you know, maybe that's that's the answer for many of us uh, if a safe vaccine is developed. Right, right. All right, Dad, let's move on to the third topic, which is plastics in our environment. This is a big one that I'm really happy that we're talking about today. Um, uh, I remember that. I remember you and I went to a conference back in Arizona a couple of years ago. And remember, they were talking about bisphenol A, you know, yes. B, you know bisphenol A. And uh, that was one of my favorites because um, um, I had Healthy Directions, you know, run a, uh, a test on my uh, on my uh, marinara sauce because I was I was concerned about, you know, bisphenol A because it's found in a lot of cans. And uh, I was so glad when we tested bisphenol A and, and, it, and it wasn't, you know, you know, found, you know, in the food product uh, that that was you know, it gave me a lot of comfort, but bisphenol A is a, a real problem, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, uh, you know, our listeners need to realize that these plastics in the environment are so pervasive and, and they cause every, they cause not only hormonal derangements, but birth problems as well. So it's, it's a major problem. And I'm sure you can address those problems as well. And, and the plastics that we're talking about here are, are really um, microplastics and nanoplastics. And, and microplastics are really defined as plastics that are less than five millimeters in size. And right. nanoplastics are even smaller than that. So most of these plastics that we're even talking about today really can't even be seen by the naked eye. Um, and what's happening is when, let's say, a water bottle or something like a plastic bag goes into the ocean, over time with the motion of the water, the sunlight hitting it, it degrades and breaks down into these smaller plastic fragments, which are the micro and the nano plastics. And so we really can't see these, but what we're finding is that there's spots in the oceans, particularly uh, one of them is called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. This thing is 1.6 million kilometers squared in size. I mean, that is just huge, right? What do they say? Twice the size of Texas or something like that? I, mean, I heard something. that. Yeah, I heard that a couple of years ago. It was twice the size of Texas. And the research that I did on this, there's actually two of them right now in the Pacific Ocean. There's one between California and Hawaii, and the other is off the coast of Japan. And so you've got these massive garbage patches, which we think of, oh, oh it's like a massive uh, island of trash, but it's not even that. It's, it's basically these micro and nanoplastics that are, that are just congregating in little areas, including like fishing nets. Like fishing nets apparently are a big source of plastics in the oceans as well. And uh, we don't know what to do with these things. They just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the problem is this, Dad. We eat from the ocean, right? We eat fish. We eat shellfish. We use salt. So the microplastics are, are beginning to be found in these fish, in these different, um, you know, shellfish and, and salts. And so we're consuming them and we're getting plastics via that route. And right, right. We, Even we don't really know the effects of these plastics. I mean, we know in, in animal models that, yes, there might be some uh, infertility. There might be some issues with reproduction. But we really don't have any human studies yet to look at the adverse effects of these plastics. So we really need to, to be more mindful of, of the plastics that we are using to really minimize uh, their use. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's the takeaway we want to give our listeners. You know, whenever you 
drink out of a plastic bottle. You, you know, you want to think twice about it. I remember in my newsletter years ago, I would recommend Saratoga waters or, mm-hmm. you know, Aquapana water, you know, because they're in glass bottles. And whenever you drink out of glass, uh, I, I prefer glass over plastic. I remember you, young in my age, you you would tell me all about the using glass instead of plastic. So I thank you for that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's, never, it's never too early, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Dad, what, what do you think about in terms of actionable steps that people can take to uh, number one is minimize the amount of plastics that they're using? I mean, I know you mentioned uh, using glass over plastic water bottles, but also, what are ways to get this stuff out of the body? Well, it, it's tough. I mean, um, one of the things we can get, you know, like radiation is another toxic uh, situation in the environment. And, you know, eating a lot of seaweeds uh, can bind, seaweeds contain alginates and it can pull radiation. And I'm sure seaweeds, uh, you know, might be helpful here as well. Um, it, we just have to have people just to be more mindful that plastics in general uh, need to be looked at. And, and you know, Reading labels. I mean, right now, you know, there's lots of labels out there. It'll say bisphenol A free, for example, BPA free. Well, when I see that, you know, on a let's say a plastic bottle or a uh, or a can or something like that, I mean, that's that's great news because again, that's environmentally positive. So again, reading labels will help a lot of our patients uh, sort through this this stuff, which is tough. It's really tough. It is tough. It is tough. And. You know, Dad, I remember this experience when I was uh, I was 19. I just went to FNM, right, Franklin Marshall College, your alma mater, and uh, I remember going into the grocery store and I came home with 18 plastic bags from one grocery trip, and I had this mm-hmm. moment, this epiphany of, if I keep doing this, I'm one person out of billions right, doing exactly. one shopping episode during this week, and I brought home 18 plastic bags. Um, that was a wake-up call for me to really start bringing my own bags into the grocery store to use, right? Reusable bags. And um, I can't even imagine how many plastic bags I would have used during the last 20 years if I, if I hadn't made that one change. So I think for our listeners here, bringing your own reusable bags back into the grocery store is a major step that you can take to reduce plastic in the environment, right? Because ultimately, right. these plastics, they degrade, they break down into our oceans, into our landfills, into those micro microplastics and nanoplastics. And it ultimately becomes part of us. So if we really want to reduce the plastics in our environment, we really need to reduce the use of plastics. Now, in terms of reducing use, that's one thing. And then the other thing is really getting the stuff out of your body. I mean, I I don't know how you feel about saunas. I don't even know if we really have research on saunas and getting rid of plastics. I'm not even sure if we do, but I would still suggest doing saunas on a regular basis or any kind of sweating mechanism to help sort of detox the body in that way. Yeah. Um, Certainly, like like heavy metals, um, like mercury, for example, and lead, uh, they usually reside in the subcutaneous layer of the skin. Well, I believe plastics will also get into that area. So sweating is is one way of detox, and 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 I think it's a major way. And and you're absolutely right. A far infrared sauna is incredible. On hot days, if people want to take a bike ride and you know put an extra sweatshirt on and sweat, sweating is one of the healthiest things you can do. And you know, of, of ridding the body of a lot of toxins and chemicals, no doubt about it. You know, Drew, I remember all through junior high, high school, and college when I was um, in athletics and I was sweating a lot. Um, when I realized every day I was sweating and sweating, where I had to change my clothes, you know, I mean, change my sweats, you know, my 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 t-shirt, my sweatshirt, et cetera, et cetera. And then a late, years later, when I became a doctor, I realized 
how therapeutic sweating was at an early age because we we take on a lot of chemicals and and a lot of uh, uh, heavy metals at an early age. And sweating is just one of the healthiest things we can do. And and I I just feel that uh, this is something that um, I think our viewers can, again, take to the bank because a, a lot of you know, people, especially women, they feel like sweating is is not a good thing. Uh, certainly, they have it during the premenopausal situations and, and menopause. But the reframe here, the reframe for our, our menopausal women is: if you are sweating and you are hot and you have hot flashes and you really do sweat, you're detoxing at the same time. So I just wanted to mention that. Well, as an aside note too, and a clinical pearl here, I've, I've found that when people exercise regularly and they sweat regularly, they have less body odor. Exactly. So if you've yeah. got a lot of excessive body odor, sweat more, exercise more, and you might smell a little better. Right. Well, is there anything else you want to mention about the uh, plastic issue in our environment? Uh, no, I think, you know, we've, we've covered it. And, you know, what we want to do with our listeners is just, you know, give them this information so they, so they can live more productive lives without being self-destructive at the same time. All right. For our last topic here, this is the Ask the Doctor segment. And what we're doing here is answering some questions that our listeners have posted on Facebook, uh, particularly about arrhythmias. So, Dad, let, let's start off with uh, atrial fibrillation, because a lot of people ask about that. You know, what's the cause of that, and then how is it treated? Well, atrial fibrillation is something that is increasing more and more in this environment. In fact, uh, many doctors uh, have called me about their wives or, or themselves getting atrial fibrillation. And basically what atrial fibrillation is, is that the heart rate uh, speeds up, it's irregular, and the pacemaker mechanism inside the atria or the atrium of the heart kicks off and it takes over. So instead of your normal heart rate being between, let's say, you know, 60 and 80, now your atrial rate can go up you know, much higher and the, and the heart rate can be 150, 110, 120, and, and it can be troublesome. And one of the reasons why we, we're seeing a lot more atrial fibrillation today is that we're seeing a lot more thyroid illness today. And a lot of it could be due to, to the electromagnetics. In other words, the Wi-Fi in the environment, the cordless phone, the cellular, the cellular phones, um, because these frequencies um, are harmful. They can be harmful frequencies to the body. And uh, when our glands take them on or our heart can absorb the frequency, uh, it can trigger an arrhythmia in the heart. So uh, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot more atrial fibrillation uh, today than we did uh, 20 or 30 years ago. Well, that makes sense because the, elect- the heart is an electrical organ. Exactly. And electromagnetics are, are certainly going to have an effect on electrical organs, <laughs> like our That's heart and right. our brains. Yeah. Um, so atrial fib, is, is, would you say it's the, the most common arrhythmia? Well, it's getting more and more common. I mean, atrial tachycardia is more common. Uh, uh, it's, it's a lot. In other words, it's a step below atrial fibrillation. It's not as virulent. See, the problem with atrial fibrillation, Drew, if it's in and out or if it's prolonged, the blood may, may clot inside the left atrium because the left atrium, instead of having a synchronous contraction, it's almost like a bag of worms, so to speak. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's quivering, right? Mm-hmm. So when the atrium is quivering, blood clots can form. And that's why it can be dangerous because a person can present with a stroke uh, from what we call a, a clot inside the left atrium. If it flakes off and it goes to the brain, it can cause uh, you know a, a devastating situation. So uh, atrial fibrillation is not to be taken lightly. It, it, it can be very, very threatening to one's health. Well, let's talk about first uh, conventional treatments for it and then more natural treatments. 
Well, the conventional treatments are simple. Um, the easiest treatment, uh, if your left atrium is not significantly enlarged, is a cardioversion, where the patient goes into the uh, doctor, the doctor you know, admits them to the hospital, you, you get a little IV sedation, and you get a little electric shock to the heart, and sometimes we'll put people on medications that keep the heart rate regular. Um, but a lot of these medications, unfortunately, um, like any medication, can have uh, hazards as well. So. Um, if we do have to use medications, there's, there's lots of medications we can use, but basically um, doctors tend to have a favorite choice because they'll choose medications that might have less side effects, for example. I mean, there's all sorts of medications. I mean, there's, there's, there's like amiodarone, there's the joxin, there's uh, high-class antiarrhythmics that you can use. Beta blockers are, uh, are, are good in atrial fibrillation. I had a lot of success with beta blockers. Um, we even recently used grounding in people who had atrial fibrillation, and we found mm. out that uh, earthing and grounding uh, tended to support the heart as well. So there's, there's lots of ways you can treat atrial fibrillation, but if you do have it, the most important thing is you need to be under the care of a cardiologist or at least a, an internist that feels comfortable taking care of atrial fibrillation. And what about um, ablation therapy? I, I mean, I've had really good success, at least with hearing from my patients that it's worked for them. Ablation is, has uh, received better and better uh, tolerance over the years. Um, when we first started doing ablation, when I was in practice 10 or 15 years ago, uh, frequently you needed two or three ablations to correct the problem. Today, the ablations are better. Uh, still a lot of people need a second ablation, but some people do get, an un do get corrected on, on, on one uh, ablation, which is a minor, a very, very minor, you know, electrophysiological, quote, surgical procedure. Okay. Now, Dad, our, our listeners are, uh, are pretty savvy here. They, they were talking they are about- savvy. Um, I can tell you that for sure. They are very savvy. They, they were talking about magnesium on Facebook here uh, being good for arrhythmias. What's your take on magnesium and also what form of magnesium would be best for arrhythmia? Well, magnesium has a common relationship to the heart. It tends to calm the heart. And I really like magnesium. Um, you know, magnesium is endothelial cell friendly. It acts like a vasodilator. Remember, high blood pressure is a cause of atrial fibrillation. And, and magnesium, <laughs> it's amazing, but in some people, magnesium uh, can lower blood pressure, uh, which has mm. a, you know, a positive uh, impact. So I, I really like magnesium. It's something that um, uh, I personally take every day. And the forms of magnesium that I like the best are, are the Krebs cycle components, like the citrate, the glycinate, the turinate. Now, I really, my favorite magnesium varietal is an orotate. Um, when I was at a CoQ10 conference years ago, the Australians were using magnesium orotate. And the reason why they were using it was that it drives ATP in a preferential direction. In other words, it supports the action of ATP, and ATP is the energy that we all need to thrive. So um, that's one of the reasons why I chose magnesium orotate in, in, in my uh, magnesium varietals, because um, you know, orotate is, is, is one of those components that uh, is, is really uh, striking in supporting the, the overall energy concept of the heart. Got it. Got it. Okay. And here's another question here that our, our listeners were asking, Dad, is uh, frequent heart palpitations. Is this a sign of a heart problem? That's a, that's a great question. And the simple answer is no. 
I mean, they looked at this in medical students uh, years ago. They did Holter monitors on medical students, and they found that about 5% of medical students uh, had skipping of the heartbeat and uh, what we call PVCs or PACs. So in the normal heart, in the normal heart, having this uh, palpitation awareness or arrhythmia awareness is, quote, totally normal. However, however, if you do have longstanding hypertension or an enlarged heart or a previous heart attack or, or let's say, um, rheumatic heart disease or calcification of, of of uh, valves in the heart, and you do have skipped heartbeats, now you have a harbinger for uh, an event that can occur. So whenever you think of skipped heartbeats, do you have pre-existing heart disease? And if the answer is no, uh, you're in a safe place. Yeah. And I'll just share personally, for me, I've, I've experienced this a couple of times in my life. And when I wasn't sleeping well, not sleeping enough hours when I was stressed, and, um, and when I would take magnesium and trace minerals and electrolytes, correcting all those things would pretty much reduce the palpitations and uh, I would feel immediate, immediately better. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and that's, you know, a good message to give your patients, you know, when they come in with uh, arrhythmia awareness, always talk personally, Drew. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, patients love it when, when they see a doctor and the doctor sort of has the same issue they do, and they want to hear from the doctor how to take care of it. Let me give you an example. Um, I used to have all my teeth. You know, I'm 74 years old, and I have two wisdom teeth out. I had two. I still have two in. And I remember about five years ago, I developed a lot of PBCs. And uh, I went to a biological dentist, and he, he did what we call a, um, you know, the um, the biomeridian testing, the voles testing, uh, where they measure the energy pathways in the body. And he said to me, he goes, get that wisdom tooth out. And I go, why? He says, because um, it's low energy and it can cause problems in the body. And sure enough, the wisdom tooth that was lying on the meridian of the heart. Now think about that. All our teeth lie on meridians in the body, the pancreas, the large intestine, the heart, et cetera. Depends on a tooth, right? So it was amazing. When I went to a neurosurgeon and they pulled that wisdom tooth, I never had PVCs again. It's mm -hmm. incredible. So a lot of these, you know, quote, arrhythmias uh, can be really esoteric. And, and uh, again, you know, it could be an issue in the mouth, you know, which can, can trigger an arrhythmia or like yourself, an issue with potassium or magnesium or electrolytes. I mean, the list goes on and on. Well, that story just emphasizes and underlines the importance of uh, holistic mind-body medicine right there. I mean, you, you absolutely need to look at the whole physical body, the mental aspect, the emotional aspect, everything to really figure out what's going on for someone. So that's, that's beautiful, Dad. Right. All right. Well, for our last segment here, our wellness wisdom, um, basically what we're talking about today is that people have reached uh, a state of fatigue with cooking at home so much. You know, I thought from the beginning this would be great when people are quarantined and at home, they'd be cooking most of their meals because ultimately when you cook at home, you're eating healthier food. But what's happening is that people are, are reaching burnout and fatigue from cooking all the time. So you and I are going to talk today about some simple recipes that people can uh, use at home using four ingredients or less to cook their meals. I'm all in on that. I've been doing that for years. <laughs> so, Dad, were you up to the challenge? What, what, what did you yeah. think about in terms of uh, recipes here? Well, the first thing that came to me was guacamole, avocado. 
And uh, I, I think doing a guacamole or, or, you know, crunching an avocado or slicing an avocado, but, but you know, using guac, with, you can add a little garlic to it. You can add some extra virgin olive oil. Um, you can add some, you know, sp- uh, spices to it, capsaicin if you want. A little lime in there too. Uh, huh? A little lime. A little lime and all that stuff. And uh, I think, you know, the health benefits of avocado are incredible. I mean, they're just unbelievable. So I just feel that uh, – and remember, whenever you do eat avocado – it helps the absorption of other vitamins and minerals in the body. And it's a monounsaturated fat, so you're not going to get a lot of an insulin response uh, from eating an avocado. So avocados bring a lot to the table, and it's so easy to do. Yeah, I, for, for my guacamole recipe, I always use avocados, cilantro, lime, and salt. There's yeah, four for you right there. Cilantro is key. I, I love cilantro. I mean, that's, that's another thing that helps pull mercury out of the body. So I really like cilantro. That's right. That's right. Now, here's a, here's a quick food recipe that, that you taught me growing up. This is, uh, I remember during our Thanksgiving meals together, uh, you used to put sweet potatoes in the oven and, yep. and bake that for, you know, 45 minutes at, at 375 degrees. And once that baked potato, sorry, that sweet potato comes out nice and soft, you cut it open you put some butter in there and some salt and pepper, and you thought you died and went to heaven. It tasted so good. Right, because the sweet potatoes bring something to the table. You know, they have a lot of carotenoid in it, you know, so, you know, because of the color. So, you know, I do like sweet potatoes. And, and remember, any potato brings potassium to, to the table. In fact, that's one of the advantages of white potatoes. But, but white potatoes, you, you're going to get an insulin response, you know, because of the carbohydrates. Sweet potatoes are a or a level above a little bit. You know, one of the quick and easy things that I did during Thanksgiving was my quick and easy asparagus. Remember that? I mean, we can take asparagus, right? You can boil them or yep. steam them. Uh, and then you them. put them on a plate or you can grill them. If you want, you put them on a plate, you squeeze some fresh lemon, you can chop up some garlic, add a little garlic salt to it. And, uh, Oh my gosh, they're del- delicious. The combination of olive oil, lemon, and garlic is so incredible as far as um, nutritional value and medicinal value at the same time. Um, You know, even that study they did uh, on the biogenome, they looked at uh, inflammatory genes that we all possess. We all possess inflammatory genes. And one of the things olive oil did, and that's just one of the reasons why I think it's the secret sauce of the Mediterranean diet, is whenever you use olive oil, you're taking pro-inflammatory genes that we all have and you're reversing them to a non-inflammatory state. So it makes sense to me. And you know, look, the, the longest living people in the world uh, are in the Mediterranean basin. And I think we talked about this on a previous podcast. Mm-hmm. It used to be Okinawa, which had the, the, the best longevity in the world. It's now has been surpassed by Spain uh, and Portugal and Italy. So, um, you know, those countries other than Portugal, they're in the Mediterranean basin. And, uh, you know, we have to look at this, that it, it's a, it's it's a really good medicinal uh, to use, and, and it tastes great at the same time. And and again, asparagus uh, bring a lot to the table. A lot of folic acid, a lot of B vitamins. Uh, you know, there's good stuff in asparagus. No, we we do grilled asparagus all the time. We, we love that. Um, I wanted to share on my meal last night, which is really simple here, Dad. What we did was we had some uh, we had some bratwurst that I grilled. I had uh, an onion that was sautéing for about five ten minutes with uh, avocado oil. And I added chopped up uh, kale and beet leaves, beet green leaves. And then we made a simple salad, right? Nothing too crazy, just some farmer's market lettuce and some bell pepper and some cucumber. And then for dessert, we had an apple crisp, which is what we've been doing <laughs> regularly lately, which, uh, which really is just cut up apples 
and you put some frozen uh, cherries in there, some frozen blueberries, and you make a little crisp on top with um, gluten-free oats and some butter and some rice flour. And oh, you've just got the most amazing dessert. And that whole meal probably took us a total of 15 minutes to prepare total, right? Maybe about maybe 25 minutes total with cooking time, I think 35 minutes for the for the crisp. So, you know, and, and, and I, I totally understand this whole fatigue thing. I mean, I felt that at some point too, where I felt like I needed to go out and get some takeout food because you, you do reach a point where you, you need a little break from cooking. But um, the key here is to make things simple, to have a, a meal that can be you know four ingredients or less, or like for my meal last night, just really simple things that you put together that don't take that much time to cook. Quick and easy and nutritious and delicious. Those are the key points. That's our show for today, folks. If you have a question or an idea for a show topic, please send us an email or share a post with us on Facebook. And remember, if you like what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Steve Sinatra. And this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. See you next time.